0: I'd like to invite everyone at this time to take out a copy of the scriptures and turn with me uh, to Psalm 82. That's our passage this morning, Psalm 82. Continuing continuing our time in the Psalms so between other series. I looked last week at our two weeks ago at Psalm 81, Pastor Brian preached last week. Um, if you we're also going to be spending some time in John chapter 10 later on, but just, just to get us started, let's read uh, the entirety of Psalm 82, including uh, the, the superscription at the top. Beloved Saints, this is God's word. that uh, He has ordained for us to hear and listen to this morning. Uh, let, us, let us hear God's word. A Psalm of Asaph. God has taken his place in the divine council. How long will you judge unjustly? I'm sorry, I skipped a part, didn't I? God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I say you are God, sons of the Most High, all of you nevertheless. Like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations. Let us uh, draw near to our God in prayer and ask that he would be pleased to draw near to us in his word. Our gracious God, you who dwell within the pages of your word, we long to know you. We long to see you revealed on the pages of scripture. And so we ask now that you would open to us the beauty of your word, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to behold the King of glory, and that you would give us faith to receive all that we hear in your word. Amen. Uh, In Exodus, God said one of the most peculiar things to Moses. He had called Moses, you might remember, to uh, deliver the Israelites out of slavery. But he had also called Moses to bring God's word to them. And yet we know the story. It's a familiar one. Moses struggled to speak publicly. And some have guessed maybe he had a stutter, and perhaps that's the case. Maybe he was just uncomfortable uh, being in front of crowds. But whatever the struggle was... He didn't want to do the speaking. And so God accepted this and he said that Moses' brother Aaron could do the actual speaking. But the way he told this to Moses was strange. God said, Aaron shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you, Moses, shall be as God to him. You shall be as God to him. What does that mean? Uh, Is God saying, Moses, you'll be your brother's creator? Is he saying, you'll be his savior? Are we free to insert any meaning we wish? I I think the context is clear. The point is clear. That's not at all what's going on. God is just telling Moses that just as God gives his prophets the words to speak and they speak on his behalf, that'll be like Moses' relationship with his brother. He will give Aaron the words to speak and Aaron will speak On Moses' behalf. In this relationship, Moses will be like God and Aaron like the prophets. He will be like God to Aaron. There's nothing about this to suggest that Moses will be divine. It doesn't mean he will have sovereign and unquestioned authority. It just means that he will stand in the place of God. He will will speak on God's behalf. It's referring to the function he will fill. He will be like God because he comes with God's word. It's not a blank check. In fact, this will come with much greater accountability. And that's true for all leaders in God's church. And, And that's really what Psalm 82 is about. It addresses the leaders in Israel who had abused their office. And yet, even though it's a historic psalm addressing a historic problem, its message is relevant for all ages and for all churches. Because in Psalm 82, we see that God calls leaders in his church to serve. And he promises to judge those who abuse their office. That's what we're going to see as we look at Psalm 82. God calls his leaders to be servants, and he judges those who abuse their office. And to see this, uh, we first want to look at, at how those in Israel were abusing their office. And then we'll see how God responds and finally, we want to look at how Jesus quotes this psalm, Psalm 82, during his incarnation and how he embodies what it means to be a leader and it models for leaders in the church what they should be like. So that's what we want to see as we look at this uh, precious, uh, albeit somewhat uh, strange and different psalm uh, this morning. And the scene painted in the psalm is that of God taking his seat in a courtroom, what he calls his divine counsel. And those to be judged, he calls gods. And to say that this is a tough passage would be an understatement. Who are these gods over whom God is about to render judgment? Uh, There are three possibilities. Uh, These could be the false gods of the surrounding nations, uh, the idols, the baals, the not true gods. Uh, The Bible calls um, angels gods, like in Psalm 8, Uh, verse 5, because they're heavenly beings. Perhaps uh, it is angels that are being called uh, to be judged here, and that's what's going on. But also, the leaders in Israel are called gods, and so that's a third option. Uh, In Exodus 21 and Exodus 22, uh, God talks about bringing disputes to him by bringing them to his leaders, and he'll render judgment through those leaders. In fact, several times, the King James uh, translation translates the word gods as judges in Exodus 21 and 22. Uh, And I think that's an accurate uh, understanding of what's going on there. The idea is that bringing your dispute to God's leaders for resolution is bringing them to him. Like Moses to Aaron, insofar as those leaders speak God's word, they are like gods to the people. These are the three options, false gods, angels, or human leaders. It's the last option uh, that I think is the only one that makes sense out of Psalm 82, and quite frankly, Jesus referenced the Psalm 82 uh, in John 10. God is coming to his leaders, those he has put in charge. And he's going to judge how they've done. Have they done what he's called them to do? When God appointed leaders in Israel, he was very clear about what their job was, what their calling was. They weren't to grow rich uh, on their office. They were to bring justice. They were to protect those who couldn't protect themselves. They were to be shepherds, called to care for protect and to feed God's sheep. They were to do this because that's who God is. God loves the weak and the afflicted. He cares for the needy. And his leaders were to reflect his character and his love to his people. They were to be God's hands and his feet among his people. Uh, If they did their job right, if they did their job well, it would be like having God in flesh and blood among them uh, because his love and his care would be shown in flesh and blood through his leaders. But that's just the problem. The leaders weren't doing their job. Look at verse 2. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? And verse 5. They, the leaders, have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. God told his leaders early on, like in Deuteronomy 1, that they were not to show partiality. That is, they're not to give preferential treatment to some over others. This is such a temptation for those in leadership. Positions of leadership come with with authority, uh, power of sorts. And there's an opportunity to use that authority to do favors, to reward friends, to punish enemies, to exchange uh, the influence of office for money or for a place in inner circles. Simply put, positions of authority come with an inherent danger to use that office to your own benefit. People are dazzled by power, by influence. Uh, The pull it has on our lives is strong. Uh, Power's ability to corrupt has become axiomatic. We've all heard it. Power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. We get it. But those who rule in God's house are under much greater accountability. Their job is to bring God's rule, God's judgments to God's people. When God told Moses that he would be like God to Aaron, he wasn't turning him loose. He was warning him. When Moses told the leaders that that bringing disputes to them was to bring them to God, he wasn't inflating their egos. He was warning them. God shows no partiality and that means that those who speak on His behalf cannot show partiality either. To do otherwise is to commit blasphemy. Blasphemy is, is a big word, but it means to assail God's name, to attack God's name. And, and that can happen in a couple ways. It can happen by, by claiming to be God, by claiming equality with God, or it can happen, By claiming God is something he is not. And when those who bear his name live out of accord with his character, they're doing both. They're they're both claiming a prerogative that is God's alone, claiming there to be God, or they're claiming that God is something he's not, that he shows partiality, that he's unkind, that he's unjust. Regardless, when, when when those who bear his name live out of accord with his character, It's blasphemous. When those who speak in his name say things he would never say, it is blasphemous. And God is accusing his leaders in in Psalm 82 of blasphemy by giving preferential treatment to the rich and the powerful, by neglecting the poor and the needy, by failing to protect the weak, They are claiming prerogatives that belong to God alone. These are men who think they're gods. So what's God's response? Well, it starts in verse 6. He says, I say you are God's sons of the Most High, all of you. God's not calling them divine. He is saying that he has made them to be like God to the people, to speak his words to them. He has called them his sons called them to the family business. And those are benefits. But God is not telling them that they can do no wrong. He's setting the stage for his displeasure. If they thought that their positions of authority made them somehow untouchable, they were deeply mistaken. He goes on. I said you're gods. Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like any prince. You you can hear it. Speaking for God doesn't mean you aren't human. It it doesn't make you immune to death or, or to judgment. You're still humans, he says, and like all humans, you will die and you will stand before God and you will give an account. Every word you speak, you claim to speak in my name, every every judgment you claim to render on my behalf. Judgment is mine, and I will call all of those into account before me. The psalm ends with a reminder that that there is no place we can hide. The psalmist cries out, "Judge the earth, for you shall inherit the nations." The, the psalmist is acknowledging God may be God, the God of Israel, but, but he's not limited by Israel's borders. Judgment might begin with Israel and her leaders, but it won't end there. And so there's a day coming when all will give an account. We will all be held accountable for the words that we have spoken and the lives that we have lived. And yet there's a greater accountability for, for the leaders in, in God's house, the leaders in the church. Current and future leaders need to let that sink in. Because if we can't be tempted, i sorry, if we can't be honest with the temptations that leadership holds, we'll never address them. The serpent is no fool. He knows exactly what to whisper into leaders' ears. You speak in God's place. You're like God to these people. You can do no wrong. The temptation is as old as time. And sadly, history is full of churches and leaders who have chosen to stop speaking God's words and instead insert their own. To prefer their own opinions, their own judgments, what makes sense to them, and say it's God's word. Time after time, as God warned the seven churches in Revelation, he has no problem with abandoning a church that stops speaking his word. He calls it taking away their lampstand. And then he renders that that verdict, that fitting epitaph, you have become a synagogue of Satan. That's a judgment no church should ever want to hear. Leaders, uh, elders, deacons, Pastor Brian, myself, this warning's for us. God has called us to be servants. He demands that we bring his word and not our own. But it's hard. It's so hard. You get into a discussion, which of course is just code for a debate or an argument, and you just want to win. You think more about what you want to say than what the other person is saying. I know it's hard. I know myself. I know I'm petty. I know I'm thin skinned. I know I get tired. And I know that I like power. I know that I love to be right. Serving's hard. I fail more than I succeed. And I know also the temptation when we fail to call it quits, to resign, to be done. I know it's easier than falling on our face, than going to the one we failed and apologizing and asking for forgiveness. But that's just it. If there's no grace, if there's no mercy, if there's no forgiveness, if there's no hope, Every human leader who speaks for God fails. If there's no mercy, there is no hope. So where can mercy be found? Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 10. I'm going to read it in two sections. Uh, First, verses 29 to 33, and then in a few minutes I'll read a few more verses. But first, John chapter 10. Verse 29 to 33, Jesus is in Jerusalem. Uh, He is speaking uh, to the people there during one of the feasts. And he says this, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones to stone him, and Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It's not for a good work but that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. So John 10 records uh, this debate between Jesus and those in Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus has just said that he is the good shepherd who who loves and cares for his sheep, and he will not lose one of them. But this language of of saying that he's the shepherd and and the people are the sheep is freighted language. Not only does it echo the description of God as the shepherd who cares for and feeds uh, and protects his sheep in Psalm 23, but it also echoes Ezekiel's judgment on the leaders of Israel who had failed to be good shepherds in God's stead. (laughs) Simply put, uh, them's fighting words. And they're angry, (laughs) so angry. They, they they, They hate him and they want nothing more to get rid of him. And then he gives them their opening. He calls God his father in verse 29. Now we think what could be more natural? God has called the Israelites his children from the, from the earliest of days. What is God if not our father? But they said, claiming to be God's son, was claiming to be God. Blasphemy! We have him. We, we, all, we have now what we need to finally get rid of him. Let's kill him. And so they pick up stones to, to put him to death right then and there. They're claiming to defend God's honor. They're acting like their motives are simply uh, concerned with the honor of God's name. It's not that we want to kill you. It's just our duty. We're we're just trying to do the right thing. You know, God's law and all. Our hands are tied. We're just going to have to kill you. But before we can ask whether or not Jesus was actually committing blasphemy, we need to remember that there are two ways to do so. It's, it's just as wrong to do what you want and claim that it's God's will as it is to claim to be God himself. To try to put your words on God's lips is blasphemy. They want Jesus dead and they are claiming that it's God who wants him dead. They live every day without concern for God's word or his will. And now they're acting like they're suddenly concerned about his word. They appeal to it when it serves their purpose. Isn't that the very thing that Psalm 82 warns against? It's funny we should mention Psalm 82 because Jesus does too. Let's let's keep reading in verse 34. Jesus answered, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you see of whom, him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I am doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if, I do, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if, I'm do, if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. So again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped their hands. In verse 34, Jesus asks, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If they know their scriptures, they know that God didn't just say, you're gods. He also said, you are sons of the Most High, all of you. And yet here they are, wanting to put Jesus to death for claiming God as his father, claiming to be his son. Now, Jesus is not denying his claim to be God. Rather, he's saying that that they are accusing him of blasphemy on the most superficial of levels. They are saying the mere calling of God, his father, is blasphemy. And his response is simple. If that were true, why does God call the leaders of Israel gods and sons of the most high? is god blaspheming by doing that but yet as with most of jesus answers something deeper is going on because if they've read psalm 82 they also know that god gets very angry at those who use his words for their own ends did they not just try to use god's word to put someone who has done no wrong to death are they not perverting justice Were the leaders in, in Jerusalem not constantly trying to subvert God's will while claiming to defend it? That's the real issue. That's what's really important. They're not judging justly without partiality. They're not rescuing the weak and the needy. They're not maintaining the rights of the afflicted and the destitute. They are using their power for their own agenda. They are mere mortals who will die like men and they are trying to claim the prerogatives that belong to God alone. They think they're gods. Their lives are blasphemous. And yet, what is Jesus? He actually is God. And yet he has made himself man. The eternal God who has no beginning and no end who is spirit and doesn't have a body like men, who has absolute authority to speak and to render judgment, the the one who will inherit the nations, this God took on flesh and blood and became man. And why? So that he could enter into our reality in order to serve the weak, the destitute, the afflicted, the, the powerless. He came into the world not not to serve the powerful and the influential, but the marginalized, the forgotten. He he became the advocate of those who had none. He, He came to seek and to save the lost. And this is where we find hope. This is where sinners can look and find one to rescue them. He says, you don't need money. The gift I give is free. He says, you don't need to be well known. I show no partiality. He simply says, all who call upon my name will be saved. And this is also where broken, failing leaders find hope. Allow me to speak to the elders and the deacons and the pastors for just a second. Gentlemen, Jesus is perfect. He he doesn't expect you to be. He doesn't say, if you fail, you need to quit. He doesn't say, if you're weak, I I have no use for you. In fact, he says it's just the opposite. When Peter thought that that he had the world by the tail, that he was stronger than everyone else, he told Jesus he would not fail, even if all others fell away, even if it cost his life. And Jesus looked Peter in the eye, and he said, Peter, you're not going to make it through the night. Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. Can you imagine how those words must have flooded back to Peter as he stood there before a slave girl and he denied his Lord, a Lord who had done nothing but show Peter kindness, patience, and love? Did Psalm 82 come to mind? Did Peter think all was lost, that was all over? I would have. And yet that Sunday morning, sitting by the seaside, Jesus broke bread with Peter and he asked him, Peter, do you love me? And there he gave Peter an opportunity to confess his humble, broken love for Jesus. Lord, you know I love you. And you know how weak I am. You know I love you and that I fail miserably. You know that I love you and I have no right to be a leader in your house. And yet, Peter was never more qualified to lead because now he would lead out of weakness, now he would lead out of his need. And so three times, once for each denial, Jesus said, Peter, go feed my sheep. Peter, I'm about to leave, and I'm going to need someone to bring my word to my people, to be like Moses was to Aaron, to speak not their words, but to speak mine. And Peter, I think you're finally ready. Not because you haven't failed, but because you have Each Sunday morning, God continues to break bread with us. And if we were together this morning, we would be having the Lord's Supper, a reminder that God actually did come in flesh and blood and become man and walk among us. Reminds us that he laid down his life for us, that that God rescues the needy. And it reminds us to lay down our lives, to not seek our own goals, but to seek his. And it reminds us that when we fail, that our hope is not in our perfection, but in his. That our hope is in the God who became man. Let us pray. Our precious Savior, we confess that we often think ourselves gods. We try to take for ourselves rights, prerogatives, honors that belong to you alone. And we know that we are human, and that we will die, and we will face you. That we cannot stand in our own strength and our own righteousness. And so we pray that you would forgive our arrogance. But you, you are the eternal God, the God of all glory, to whom all honor is due. And yet you became man. You took on flesh and blood that you might serve us. Teach us to love and to serve like you. And when we fail, show us mercy. When others fail us, teach us to show grace. Until you return, bless us, we pray, and keep us. Make your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. Father, lift up your countenance upon us and grant us your peace. Amen.